I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of PurePleasureShop.com. And I'm April, sex toy maven, VP of Hot Octopus, and I've dedicated my life to the business of sex. We're two people with a passion for educating and inspiring shame-free conversations about sex and relationships. Welcome Welcome to to the the Shameless Sex Revolution. Revolution. Want to learn more? Go to ShamelessSex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSSEX at PurePleasureShop.com. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Well, hello, everyone. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Shameless Sex Podcast. This episode was much more serious than our previous episodes because... Well, this is not the only reason why it's on narcissism. So that's a heavy topic. But we also had a listener that we appreciate because they had had a very wonderful, lovely email sent to us uh, that they they sent to us that said that they don't want us to be offended um, and they appreciate our content. And sometimes we're a little too funny or you're great, but and no, you're great. And is that how they phrased it? Well, I think so. Mm-hmm. I felt really good about the email. Okay. And they said that sometimes um, we're not really resonating with people that want something a little more serious or resonate, or I guess they resonate more with seriousness, but we're honestly not serious people. <laughs> no, I, I have to speak for myself here. And I understand that some topics deserve uh, a Which seriousness. This And this one is that. And this one is that. And we were very serious in it. I don't think we cracked like maybe one joke. Maybe, what, yeah. but probably yeah, myself or something that I said, or I don't know. I don't think you cracked very many jokes. However, I, I use humor. I was humor. like semi-triggered through most of it. Yeah. You're like, ah, I'm sitting here. I'm getting a red face. I'm going to be bad. But I use humor. That has been my medicine for many years since my I was a baby. Yeah. Since I was a child. And sorry, not sorry. That's who I am. I'm not yeah. going to change who I am. People talk about the voices I make or the weird shit that I do. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not going to change. I'm not doing anything wrong and I'm not a narcissist. Well, Surprise. You're not. Yeah, no, she definitely is not. And I would say that this episode did require our seriousness, us to fully show up in this way that, because I mean, it, there's a heaviness to it. So we're, we are talking about narcissism, but we're also talking about emotional abuse and abusive relationships and manipulation and borderline personality. And what did she call the dark triad? 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 I, I said, <laughs> I said, let's talk about the dark triad. And she's like triad. And I was like, uh, oh, right. Well, yeah. I was thinking triage, triad, yeah. but corrected i stand corrected we're not yes. editing that out no we are not that's actually gonna hang out in there and uh and it's a wonderful episode in it's intense and it's very serious so you're welcome listener and we appreciate your feedback and i have had multiple humans in my life that have wanted us to talk about this because we can't dodge the fact that folks get into abusive relationships and i'm one of them who has been in one and I also can resonate with uh, being in a relationship that has something to do with narcissism and by abusive. You're speaking to this emotional topic, abuse, emotional yeah. abuse exactly. situation, yeah. right? And there's people in, with phys- physically abusive relationships, but yeah, so this is not uh, necessarily an entirely selfish endeavor on our part. It's we've had requests for this from friends, from listeners, etc. So and, um, bear with us. And Kate Lurie does an incredible job of describing and, and breaking down this topic. I think for everyone yes. out there can resonate with this, whether you have been in a relationship with a narcissist or you are in one or a survivor or of an abusive relationship. Right. Or yeah, I think this is it's not necessarily a sexy topic but it's fucking important Mm -hmm. and viable for right now because it has to deal with relationships yeah and even if you're a single person and you're maybe going to be dating or finding someone in the future if that's your jam uh if you hear a dog making the crazy sounds in the background we're not having orgasms my dog my my dog dog. is not here my dog is the worst podcast dog Uh, the other thing i want to say before we start this is just trigger warning right so I mean, this can be a hard conversation to have for folks to hear, especially if you are someone who are um, living in this field or realm of a narcissistic relationship uh, or if you identify as one and also if you're healing from one. So it might bring up some things for you. And she has some really good tips on the healing process. So just bear with us on this. But before we dive in, here's a funny thing. Uh, How about some testicle 
I love when there's testicles involved in the monials. Testicle monials. From Shannon. She said we could use her name. Oh, good. So, Shannon, I'm an oncology nurse, and in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I wanted to write in in response to something I recently heard on episode 294 about being a cougar with Dr. Sarah Hill, where she mentioned supplements to improve sex drive like DHEA, maca, etc. I feel like it's important to note that supplements increasing or regulating estrogen also often increase breast cancer risk. This doesn't mean women should not take them, but just that the risk should be part of the conversation. Women who have had breast cancer or are at a higher rate than average risk might want to avoid them. DHEA is a precursor to both estrogen and androgens like testosterone, so we don't recommend it to our patients who have been diagnosed with hormone-positive breast cancer. And that's the end of the story. Uh, Did you like the episode? Uh, yes, no, yeah, there, there was, I mean, I, we don't have a lot of time to talk about all the praise and things, but there's oh, a lot okay. of like, I love shameless sex, la la la. I love his feedback. Yes, it's great because I think that Dr. Sarah Hill was amazing and I was so grateful for the episode. We've had a lot of emails. I've had two people come up to me while I've been walking around Santa Cruz being like, I just listened to the Cougar episode. I was like, oh, They're stoked. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's good information because normalizing a lot of these experiences. We also got an email from a listener, I don't know if you're listening, who was like, I'm in a relationship with someone that's like 15 years younger than me and there's no problem there. There's, there's no, n- not really a difference between our experiences with each other. So, and this is speaking specifically to supplements, which we're not doctors and Dr. Sarah Hill is. And yes, there, I guess she did not state the downsides or the, the other opposite side of the conversation that maybe is important. And so that's why I wanted to, or we wanted to include this here just to highlight that anything we put in our bodies should be considered in the conversation. We need to know about our history and our own unique bodies and what that, you know, what happens there. I think it's probably a good idea, no matter what you're listening to. And even if it's coming from a doctor or a nurse practitioner, or shameless sex. <laughs> or, well, definitely shameless sex. We're not doctors yeah. or nurse, nor are we nurse practitioners. But to re- seek out a second opinion, don't use don't don't just use the the web medical services because that not WebMD. The web, <laughs> the, yeah, the, those I didn't want to call out which which one, but you can find a lot of information on the internet. But we've said other things before about castor oil, which can help promote but, miscarriages. But I've, had, I've had issues with it though. It actually right. with my the cyst that I had. My Bartholin's guns, it actually did not serve the purpose that it was told right. to, to so me. So there's always, there's always, I mean, there are 8 billion people, close to 8 billion people yeah. in the world. There are always going to be recommended avenues. And I don't think Dr. Sarah Hill was saying DHEA for everyone, nor would we ever, we never approach things with a one size fits all approach. Yeah. I mean, ra- rarely do we say this will change our lives unless it comes to meditation, which that's I think that's pretty universal. That's, that, that is a scientifically proven. I have yet to, to see a study to say that it's going to give you breast cancer right. uh, or it's any sort of problematic experiences. But putting things and, on or in your body. Yeah, definitely. Look that out makes for. sense. And and I, she was actually so Sarah Hill, Dr. Sarah Hill was speaking to testosterone in particular and it increasing testosterone when your sex drive might be low. And the other side of the conversation is that it also might increase estrogen, which could be problematic for people who have breast cancer in their family history. So that I just wanted to bring this to attention or we did. We want to bring this attention so that people, when you hear it, like April said, get a second, third opinion. Um, and it's not that we doubt because we're very careful about who we have on our show. And doesn't mean, but no one knows everything. P.S. That isn't just exclusively like, driven towards people with vulvas. Uh, breast cancer can be found in penis owners and found just, in all humans. Cancer. Yes. Yeah. Well, pectoral, yeah. it, it can develop in all, all sorts of folks. So yeah. just be aware we're not just speaking to people that have the reproductive organs of the Some ovaries, a cervix, yes, no. uh, a uterus. The, the, exactly. Except if you have a hysterectomy, then that might be a little different. Yeah, that might be. Okay. <laughs> Good. I appreciate that. Thank you, Shannon, for yes. reaching out and for correcting us. And check out the episode on being a cougar, episode 294. It's awesome. And congratulations, Ms. Amy Baldwin on reaching 300 episodes. Yeah. We're at 300 we're, episodes. We're past 300, but well, like, we, are, we really hit the we, official 300. It's really 
amazing yeah that we did this fuck yeah it's a blur fuck yeah and also it's not a blur at all no. i remember every single one i know i could spend a lot of time with you don't quiz me right now all right quiz pop are you ready quiz. for the bio pop quiz who's this bio about how do you say your name kate laurie nice uh, L- like story oh yes <laughs> kate laurie lmft is a sex positive licensed marriage and family therapist with a specialty in non-monogamous kink LGBTQ and sex worker communities, author of Open Deeply, a guide to building conscious, compassionate, open relationships, and the co-host of the podcast Open Deeply with Sunny Megatron. We love you, Sunny. Yeah. Kate Lurie has been featured in BuzzFeed videos, Playboy Radio, as well as many podcasts. To learn more, visit katelurie.com. I'm going to spell it K-E-T-E-L-O-R-E-E.com. All right, everyone. Guess what time it is? Cool time? No, I knew you were going to say that, though. It is time to talk about narcissism. Wow. A time that we haven't spent together yet. And we are really, really... I'm blown away by you, you, doctor. No, you're not a doctor. You should be. Are you a doctor? I I have two master's degrees. I wish I could tie them together in a bow and make a PhD, but unfortunately, that's not how anything works. You you basically (laughs) are a doctor. But Kate Laurie, she's an LMFT and host of the Open Deeply podcast. Wow. I'm really crushing this intro, Amy. (laughs) Amy, like you're doing this intro. I was like, I'm the opener and she's the closer, but we switched it up today. We switched it up just to change up things. And I was like, I got this. Don't worry about it. So welcome back to the show for the second time. And this topic is, it's a hot one. And when I, by hot, I mean heated. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not hot and steamy, but hot and bothered would probably be the best way to put it. So uh, Amy definitely has some questions and things to, yes, to feel through with this episode. <laughs> and Kate is the perfect person, I think, to talk about this topic with. So without further ado, let's step right into the interview Let folks know, how did you get where you are today in the field of sexuality? Basically, a lot of it was a a personal journey. So I came out to L.A. to get my second master's degree um, at Loyola Marymount um, in marriage and family therapy. Concurrently, when I came out, I almost immediately met my partner. You know, I had had an 11-year monogamous relationship, and this would end up being a 13-year non-monogamous relationship in marriage. And so how should I put it? Like in my professional life, I was working at a clinic and all of this. But in my personal life, we quickly got into non-monogamy and I ended up making a lot of friends in the kink scene and all this stuff. And so a lot of my journey um, was getting educated through the friends that I had, you know, back then, like now there's all these professional programs, you know, get certified in non-monogamy and all that. Like back then there was hardly anybody doing it. Like I didn't even know about the ethical slut and things like that. So I would go and listen to people like Reed Mahalko and, and uh, all of that, you know, like these sex educators. And I got educated both through experience and through those kind of uh, mentors. And so when I started my private practice, because I had been dialed in with these communities, um, knew a lot of porn performers, blah, blah, blah. I had clients before I even had a space. Like I had to hustle to get a space. And ever since then, you know, very quickly I had a waiting list and a lot of people perceive me as kind of the go-to therapist in Los Angeles for people that are, you know, LGBTQ or sex workers or non-monogamous or kinky folk. And I also have, I've worked with mood disorders and personality disorders since the very beginning. And I've been a therapist for 20 years. And I feel like this uh, age we live in, this era, this year, this time, uh, there's a lot more, I would say, or disorders or, you know, depression or anxiety or a lot of things that are really affecting people. What we're talking about today is, is so narcissism. And I'm very curious about the definition of narcissism, because it seems like a lot of people throw this in the same category as selfishness. Um, So what does someone, you know, what does it entail to be diagnosed with narcissism? um, And what does that entail in terms of how the the harm they cause? Well, you know, with with narcissism, according to the DSM, you could have any of the following nine characteristics. I mean, it's definitely associated with grandiosity, a lack of empathy, pursuit of admiration. But then there's these nine characteristics and you only need five of them to be diagnosable. And I could read them through, but let me just read off four. These are the four that are kind of like the worst. And just notice you need five, but if you have these four, 
you're not diagnosable, but you're still doing massive harm, which are, um, you know, lacking empathy, being interpersonally exploitive, exploitive. So that could be uh, taking advantage of others to achieve your own ends, your own needs, uh, self-entitlement and uh, a need for excessive admiration. So if you've got all of that, you can see how that combo could lead to a person doing all this harm. And then a, a particular topic that we should talk about is narcissistic fuel and mm. what that means and why that creates a lot of damage for the people that uh, are involved in the narcissist life. That is one of the next questions before we get there about narcissistic fuel. So, okay. So let's say we're going through this list and I have a friend of a friend and I'm like, well, they, they kind of are like that. Or they have this, they have this ability to want a ton of admiration. And what how does it get on to the unhealthy? And if this is part of narcissistic fuel, maybe I'm I'm stepping ahead, but how does it get to that unhealthy level of narcissism versus someone that just maybe has this grandiose uh out, outwardly uh, I guess presentation? Would, no, they have a grandiose vision of themselves. Cause I'm 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 yeah. imagining this because I'm like, am I a narcissist? I don't think so. No. But I'm like, but I have a big personality, but I'm not selfish in a way. So that's why I just want to know when it gets to that. We've got, you know, this, this level 10 uh, person that's narcissistic. How does it make them that way? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's many pathways to Rome. Um, you know, there's, so one model you might think about, if we think about like the hyper-privileged wealthy narcissist, probably when they grew up, they were only by their parents, they probably were not given true love. They probably weren't taught, you know, taught ethics around kindness, mm -hmm. but they probably were told that their family is the cream of the crop. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and or that they are the, the, the as a the, person, their family like, yeah. system, that they yeah. are the cream of the crop. Mm -hmm. And they were probably also, you know, probably they, they learned just world theory. And what I mean by that is, Oh, you know, that gal got raped oh she got raped because she was wearing a short skirt because uh. it's a just world right or the reason that we're millionaires is because we're the cream of the crop because it's a just world or that you know person that's a black or brown person they had something bad that happened with the cops oh that happened because you know uh they are they're lazy or some some something uh. like that and because it's a just world right and so they have it in there they have this distorted incorrect thinking that the reason they get all the goodies is because their family is superior and they're superior and that other people hurt because that in some way they're bad and deserving of that badness right mm -hmm. and so that's a piece that's going on um, also, you know, because they're not being really taught love and ethics around kindness, um, and because they regard other people that are less privileged as kind of weaker or more flawed, they can feel um, very justified in being cruel, right? So these are kind of the societal, but also the personal things that can go on in family systems, you know, and, and they get the message usually from their family that um, they don't get to have their own individualism. They're only as good as their last performance. They're only as good as, as um, you know, whether they can make their family system look good, right? And so it doesn't become about like being a full human. It becomes more about making the narcissistic family. A lot of times, you know, narcissists come from narcissistic family systems, mm -hmm. you know? And so then they grow up uh, not really having empathy for people, not having learned empathy, feeling okay about being cruel to others and feeling it's okay to manipulate others in order to maintain success. These are, these are some of the things that can go on. I have a question that's, I know we want to get to the fuel part, but I've talked to various folks about this and I, so, I mean, I, you know, we are, April and I are not in the position to diagnose people. And I know that sometimes diagnosing can, is always not always helpful. So we're not here to diagnose y'all, everyone listening. I am curious though, if folks who have extreme narcissistic tendencies, traits, uh, et cetera, can they learn to have empathy? Can they learn to shift these parts of themselves? This is kind of a tangent here, but I'm, but oh, that's a really solid this. question. Cause I was wondering that myself, yeah. but I didn't know if it was going to be in our line of questioning. 
But now it is. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, one thing that I didn't mention is, and I just want to say this brief, briefly before I go to your question, is, you know, one of the cardinal things about narcissists is that they actually have very fragile egos. They don't take criticism well. They can blow up in your face. Um, Seen you know, that. All yep. of that, you know, <laughs> yeah. because, again, they've never really cultivated a sense of self from the time they were little. Right. So, you know, when you think about um, whether or not they can change, I actually talked to um, another peer that kind of he's another sex positive leader who works with men. And I asked him, I didn't ask him per se about narcissists, but this is very adjacent. He works with men to try and help men be, you know, more uh, evolved, embodied, connected to their emotions, all of that. And I said, if you get a client that is, you know, hyper privileged, the kind of man who's always just kind of gotten his way and, and bulldozed his way through life. Um, and he's handsome, and he's tall, and he's all the privileged things. Can you ever change that guy? And he said, it can happen. It's hard. But usually they have to have some falling out in their life, like several falling outs in their life, where they're just like, uh, this isn't sustainable. Obviously, something's wrong. And sometimes they'll they'll change. I would say, in my experience, if I dovetail what Destin said with my own personal experience, when I first was a baby munchkin therapist, I and I was working in the clinics, basically, the senior therapist said, just to let you know, if we get a narcissist, they won't stay because, you know, they just don't stay in treatment, they'll blow out of here. Now, when I went into my private practice, what I noticed is that if someone just had mild narcissistic symptoms, that I could sometimes pull them towards empathy. Um, but usually what I'd have to do, and this might be a little manipulative, but it has a good intention, right? I would have to help them see how having empathy and being compassionate to their partner actually served them. And so they would start to do it from a selfish place. Mm, interesting. But then they would start to see how being empathetic and compassionate actually felt good and how it helped the relationship and it helped everybody involved. And all of a sudden, a very real empathy and compassion started to build. But again, these are like with low end, you know, like very not extreme narcissists. Mm-hmm. And that's Dustin Garrick, huh? He's been on our show a couple of times, right? Oh, Dustin. Dustin Des- Garrick. Dustin yeah. Garrick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's awesome. I love him. Uh, yeah. So that, okay. And then you had another piece, right? That you wanted to add? Um, let's see. Um, whether they can change. Let's see. So, I mean, I think that's one of the main things is that when they are just have a diagnosable, just light diagnosable symptoms, or if they, um, you know, are not even quite diagnosable, sometimes you can change them through helping them see that empathy serves them. And then they eventually switch over to uh, realizing that it actually, you know, they can, they can build a true empathy from that place. Um, is there any other way to do it besides what I just described? Drop um, them off in a third world country without a cell phone or a passport and see how they get out of their situation. Yeah. I, <laughs> nice. I mean, I, I think that, you know, again, they have to be some somewhat open. It's either going to be that they've had, you know, they bottom out like in the Dustin Garrick example or their symptoms are mild and therefore they're more open. And, you know, the second example I gave you. So those are really the two main situations where it might be helpful. I'm sure there's other examples, but, you know, it's hard to change a narcissist. When I was back, you know, again, when I, before I was in private practice and I was in the clinic, a lot of the therapists would, would talk about how when you have a narcissist, if they, this is a third thing, actually, if they hit rock bottom in some way, like for a little while, when they have hit rock bottom, you have a little window to get in when they're fragile and vulnerable. And you can sometimes shift things then, but that window will slam shut very quickly. A lot of times once they are feeling a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have a window when they're uh, really struggling, but that's very similar to what Destin was saying too. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned this narcissistic fuel. What does this entail? And what is the dark triad? <laughs> yeah. So let's see. So in terms of the dark triad, that is the combination of narcissism, Machiavellianism, and um, antisocial personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So the reason that's so bad, if you think about just narcissism on its own, a narcissist on his own is not necessarily violent. 
is not necessarily full tilt, emotionally abusive, that kind of thing. They, they, there can be some emotional abuse, but if they're kind of like a baby narcissist, it is, isn't that bad. But when you couple it with antisocial personality disorder, so antisocial personality disorder, you might be more familiar with terms like psychopath and sociopath. Now you're talking about somebody who's aggressive and violent, mm -hmm. right? And then you couple that with Machiavellianism, which is somebody who will do whatever they need to do by whatever means necessary to get what they want. When you couple those three, then you basically have a, a you know, a bit of a monster, right? That is just going through life doing incredible damage, mm -hmm. right? That yeah. that triad is way worse than just having narcissism alone, you know? Are you ready for the Unleashed Tour where shamelessness, sexiness, and laughter collide in a hilarious orgy of fun, discovery, and sex edutainment? Embark on a captivating nationwide journey with the Shameless Sex Podcast and an electrifying ensemble of sex educators and sex-positive entertainers as they bring you an unforgettably titillating live experience. Be a part of mesmerizing, entertaining, boundary-pushing acts, shameless sex style. Ever heard of the Slurpee stick shift? Want to learn how to bury your face in her? How about some dirty talk improv or brat taming 101? Hmm. Get ready for nonstop laughter as our charismatic hosts and entertainers weave humor into the fabric of this liberating celebration of sexual diversity and freedom. Engage in interactive segments, Q&A sessions, and a chance to connect with like-minded individuals in an inclusive and empowering environment. Listen up, Portland, Chicago, Seattle, we're coming to you. For more information and to get your tickets right now, go to shamelesssex.com and be part of a night that will be fun, educational, sexy, hilarious, and shamelessly unforgettable. Seats are filling up fast, so don't miss out on the most unforgettable show of the year. What's up, shameless sex fam? Is your sex life important to you? Hmm. What about your relationships? And also... Let me ask you this. Who can relate to this story? Things were once so good in the bedroom with my partner, and now it's a mess, and I don't know what to do. Where's or, my happily ever after, yeah, where's Amy? My yeah, yeah, what about me? Or how about so many aspects of my life are fantastic, but when it comes to sex and relationships, I feel so lost. Yep, been there. Uh, mm -hmm. Me too. Mm -hmm. And this is why you all need Shameless Sex, the, the book. book. We give you simple, simple solutions and a framework that you can use. You can customize it to you. Yes, you gives you the tools, the right tools for your sex and relationship. So you get what you desire and it's fun. It's playful. Right, Amy? We're always playful. It's kind of sexy. And did I mention how easy we make it for you? You have to check out Shameless Sex. Plus the testimonials, they're coming in from everywhere. And this book has helped people just like you recreate and create the sex life of their dreams. So you can do it too. Go to, where are they going, Amy? Shamelesssex.com. Oh, how easy is that? Just go to shamelesssex.com and click on the book, okay? And you can get it however you choose. If you, you want, want hardcover, yeah. audio. Hardcover? We got you hardly yeah. covered. <laughs> Yeah. So that's something to look out for. Let's see. What was your question? Oh, the fuel, that? the fuel piece, the um, narcissistic. Yeah. What, what is it? Is, is it, it, is it like gasoline? gasoline or diesel? <laughs> what kind of fuel we're talking the about? Biodiesel? <laughs> yeah. What? Sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. With, um, so to define narcissistic fuel, narcissistic fuel is what fuels the narcissist. So if you think about it, going back to how I was describing narcissism in the beginning, in my opinion, I don't think narcissists really learn how to love or even receive love, which is for a healthy human, our, our water, our sunshine, our soil. So since they don't have that as something to nurture the mind, body and spirit, they need something other than that. And that becomes their fuel. Mm. So their fuel can be, um, you know, in the case of, you know, I mentioned non-monogamy having access to all these beautiful lovers. So they'll pair up with another beautiful partner that they think will up their game of having all these beautiful lovers um, in order, you know, to kind of puppeteer the partner and gain access to the narcissistic fuel of sex and, and, you know, feeling 
amazing and feeling like this rock star within the non-monogamous community, right? Mm -hmm. And they will drain their partner dry as long as they can in order to have that. You know, there's other politicians per se, I'm not going to mention any names, that will go into their rally, right? And they have all their supporters watching them. And you can just watch, it's almost like they're shooting up, you know, they're just watching all this admiration or like say, are not all rock stars, but some rock stars are people that step into the public eye and they have this audience and they're just getting the fuel of everyone adoring them because that's what a narcissist wants. They want to be adored. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, and in the case of just a, a relationship, you know, sometimes they'll choose a really, again, a really gorgeous partner or a wealthy partner, or a partner that has some kind of prestige in order to feel better about themselves, to pump up their ego. So interesting. And um, without going too deep into a personal share, I'd shared before we got on the air with April and and with Kate about my, um, so I, I mean, everything that you're sharing, I'm like, been there, been there, been there, been there um, in um, this type of relationship. And, um, and some of it is, I think, out of my own father wounding, but I was in a, you know, five and a half year relationship that was very much a lot of these pieces. And I always felt like it was like a spell where that was almost like I was under, I think, and even friends were like, you need to get out. But I, I like, I could not, I actually felt almost like I had tethers that were attached to this human and I could not pull them until I was finally ready. Cause I had to hit rock bottom, like, you know, very hard and they were pushing me away 5 million times. So is that another characteristic of the relational dynamic there? Uh, that it, is that a common experience for people when they are in a relationship with a narcissist where they feel like it's almost like this charismatic smell or not, maybe not charismatic, but it's like you, you drank some potion and you can't, there's no antidote until like you can the Kool-Aid and the, yeah, cult. the Kool-Aid, the Kool yeah. the cult Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, and, and cult is right. I mean, they're kind of a one person cult where, you know, if you think about a cult, they condition your mind. Right. So mm -hmm. when you first hook up with a narcissist, they at first are grooming you and they are telling you how amazing you are and how beautiful you are. And it, it feels amazing. You're up on this pedestal. And then they start to kind of break you down in different ways after a certain time. Once you're hooked, that's when they start to break you down in order to achieve whatever it is that they want, mm -hmm. right? And so you end up chasing uh, that thing that you felt in the beginning. Now, um, a lot of articles talk about narcissism in a vacuum, but let's talk about narcissism coupled with really toxic borderline personality disorder, because a lot of these personality disorders, you can have more than one. So mm -hmm. if you think about a borderline personality disorder, I've known people with borderline that are actually kind humans, they get painted as monsters in the media all the time. But there are borderlines that I've had in my private practice that want to get better. And they're, they're kind, but let's say that we're talking about that borderline personality, that's really toxic and extreme, you couple those two things. And you've got that borderline that has that push pull because what they want most and what they fear most is love. So when they come forward, it's they're amazing. And then when they sense love, they pull way back, right? Now you couple that with the narcissism and you've got something that feels really horrible and is like freaking heroin. Yep. You know, because they come in hard with all the love. And then when they want to start to break you down and puppeteer you, they can pull away in this way where they're tearing down your psyche. Um, they're denying you, you know, all the comfort that you once experienced. And, and it can be so devastating. It can be like being a drug addict chasing the narcissist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's how I felt in, in that experience. I felt like I was trying to get, get my fix and the fix never worked. And so these people that are that they have th these deep rooted narcissistic tendencies which it sounds like it's not even tendency it's like deeply rooted it's it's creating harm it's it's a disorder right i mean it is on some level disorderly uh so will they go to because i know with psychopaths a lot of times and there is a difference like they'll go to the extreme of you they'll be like not all serial killers are are sociopaths but all of them are are some kind of psychopath right like they all have and how, at what lengths will they go to 
to feed the beast, to feed the machine, to fuel their narcissism? Is it death? Is it to like kill someone? Is it is it until they get what they need and the person's just like wrung out to dry or will it stop it at some level? Yeah, well, just keep in mind that not all narcissists are are violent or aggressive. Basically, there's a, a study that came out relatively recently that um, 20, you know, that basically there's a 21% increase in aggression if it's coupled with narcissism, you know, that like, uh, let's see, I'm just going to read it. Uh, the study found that narcissism is related to a 21% increase in aggression and an 18% increase in violence. Mm. So, um, but not all narcissists are violent, right? So, and also when you think about narcissism, it's on a continuum. So some narcissists are, you know, like baby narcissists. And then there's the ones that are very extreme that are also violent. So, you know, for for the ones that are violent, how should I put it? That's going to unveil no matter what, right? It's not your fault if they become violent, if you're involved with it's not <laughs> their job. You know, it's like, how do you stop violent violence? The violent person needs to quit being violent, right? right. So it's like, this is a thing. Narcissists have a tendency to date codependents or overgivers. <laughs> Me, so the, guilty. Right, right. Yeah. So the overgiver always, the overgiver or the codependent is always thinking, well, maybe if I do this, then they'll act better. Or maybe, you know, how can I shift or change in order to get the kind man or the kind person I was with before? Mm -hmm. But when you realize that this is the personality profile that you have, that you're dealing with, uh, chances are that you're not going to be able to change them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe a therapist might have a shot or a team of therapists might have a shot if they ever go to therapy, which is doubtful, yeah. you know, uh, instead, if you find yourself with a narcissist, it's better to start taking care of yourself. Now, the, the problem is, you know, I've been in narcissistic relationships, you know, I've been with a partner that was narcissistic and he was also um, had all these other things going on, a trauma history, all these other things. So there's different things that keep you you know, and, and you probably had your reasons. I had mine, you know, some of my reasons were, we were amazing adventure buddies mm -hmm. and he was hilarious. And in a lot of ways he was my muse and we had a million great memories. Right. And then I had all this compassion for him because he had a massive trauma history. You know, there was all the, it was, there was all this good stuff, but then when it got bad, it got super bad. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, the Disney princess was singing and then all of a sudden black tar is coming down the walls, mm -hmm. you know? So, so my, the reason I stayed for so long is because one, at the time I was kind of a young therapist and I thought, you know, I can, I can heal him with my love. Certainly mm -hmm. I can, because I'm a therapist, right? I thought that I thought that, um, if his trauma healed, then, you know, some of these things would soften, you know, the thing is the person that is the overgiver or the codependent, they always think, well, I'm hearing about these monsters that are narcissists. That's not my person because they're kind part of the time. This is why it's so important to kind of break down what's out there because this depiction of narcissists as these huge monsters keeps codependents in relationships with narcissists because mm -hmm. they're like, my guy is not that bad right. and I'm strong. I can heal him. I can heal this relationship. So they stay sometimes for over a decade, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, five and a half years was uh, a long time. You So I noticed you're saying uh, a lot of him and he, um, and so I'm curious about the distinction because I we were talking about this before the show too that not all narcissists are penis owning individuals. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about that. Is it more so what at least in your practice seemingly penis owning individuals with the acknowledgement that it's not only that? Again, narcissists don't really come into private practice that much. Usually, it's people with narcissistic symptoms. The folks that come in a lot of times how should I put it? They come in with a partner and I can see in that first session that they're trying to puppeteer me. They, they think that they're going to puppeteer me to be complicit in breaking down their partner. Mm -hmm. They hear that I'm this non-monogamous therapist and they think that, you know, they're going to kind of like use me to make their client, their partner do a whole bunch of things that is not consensual. You know, that the, the, that their partner is not ready for sexually all of that. And when they, hear the contrary that I'm all about a hell yes when it comes to sex and then I'm all about boundaries when it comes to 
you know, whatever your sexual model is or relationship model, you know, they blow out of there really quick, you know, and I, I already know that from the get go that as soon as I sense that's what I'm dealing with, I like try and download as much information in the partner's mind as I can in that 50 minutes, because I know that a full tilt narcissist is trying to manipulate their partner is not going to stay when they figure out who I am and how I roll. So you're not putting up with that shit. You're like, "Mm -mm, nope, nope. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to be complicit in that kind of thing. I'm I'm here to heal and and to do, you know, to help people not to be complicit in something that's damaging. Yeah. I think that's a a good tactic to, to go with. Time for a quick break to talk about our hands down favorite lube, who also happens to be a sponsor, UberLube. UberLube is luxurious silicone lubricant that enhances intimacy. And I actually want it all over my body, y'all. I'm not joking. It's long lasting and it leaves my skin feeling really velvety, almost silky. And it has no flavor or scent. And April, I've heard you say this, great for oral sex. That's right. Mm-hmm. And they happen to have thousands of doctors and therapists in the U.S. alone recommending UberLube to their patients for various reasons, including it feels amazing on the skin, it's highly body-friendly, it's less likely to change the pH, and that vitamin E leaves the skin feeling nice and moisturized. UberLube is not just for sex. It's for massage, you can use it for your hair frizzies, for buffing up your tattoos, and it even prevents chafing. It comes in this gorgeous glass bottle that I love, so the aesthetics are beautiful, it has this easy pump top, you're going to love it. It looks more like a cosmetic, so you can leave it shamelessly on your nightstand. Just go to uberlube.com and use discount code SHAMELESS to get 10% off and free shipping. Again, that's U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com right now with code SHAMELESS for 10% off and free shipping. This podcast is also brought to you by omgs.com. I've been recommending omgs to my clients for years now, and it's completely changed their lives, including that of my own. Omgs utilizes scientific research of real vulvas showing techniques to pleasure the pussy. And then they turn the research into tasteful, educational short videos, animated modules, and infographics. And here's the thing. OMGS is for anyone who wants to learn about vulva pleasure or take it to the next level. Hey, vulva owners, want to transform your own orgasms from good to out of this world? Or vulva admirers want to up your pussy pleasure skills? Well, you gotta check OMGS out now. OMGS studied more than 20,000 people of all ages from 18 to 95. There are three seasons. This is not a subscription service and you don't need to download anything. There's external pleasure, internal pleasure and a season all about sex toys. Your purchase helps fund more research, and it's an incredible gift. Go to omgs.com slash shameless to get 10% off right now. Again, that's omgs.com slash shameless to receive 10% off unlimited access towards enhancing your pleasure power. So if someone listening is identifying with what you're talking about and speaking to in terms of being in a narcissistic relationship, what are some of the coping skills or the strategies or tactical avenues to get the person out of this kind of toxic relationship. And not necessarily if they're violent, obviously if they're violent, there's only one way to go. And that's just fucking 2 AM when there's passed out. I don't know if you have some sleeping pills. I'm just kidding. And I don't, (laughs) but I'm like, you gotta get out, but get out before they kill you. Uh, But what, what are some tactics uh, that you would say? So now that we're moving there, you were asking me about narcissists in my practice. What I do have a ton of, is the partners of narcissists. Oh, so they're coming on their own without their, so without the actual part, other partner, the people that are the the codependent person. Uh, Yeah. A lot of times they'll come in on their own. Yeah. I have tons of those. I mean, basically narcissists keep therapists in business because, Mm. you know, basically the people that are either working for the narcissist, dating the narcissist, you know, having, you know, the narcissist is their parent. Those people that are damaged by the narcissist keep therapists in business, you know, because there's just the narcissist does so much damage to humanity. You know, if you could take narcissism out of our culture and out of individuals, you know, it'd almost be to the point where therapists didn't have a job, you know, Um, I mean, that's 
obviously that's a, a big generalization, but you know, the people that come in that do have some, you know, as a couple where one person has some narcissism, it's not usually the ones that are like the ones that have, are the dark triad types. Mm. That's very rare. I, you know, I have worked with the dark, a dark triad type, um, super rare for that type to come in. Mm. Um, but when you think about someone that is dating a narcissist, there's all these things that you can do to break free. You know, I think one part of it is to recognize that you might be a codependent or an overgiver. And if you are a codependent or an overgiver, part of the your job is to realize that you deserve love too. Um, a lot of times overgivers or codependents um, feel that they're loving humans and they feel like they love themselves. A lot of times overgiver types are, are badasses. They might be therapists. They may be nurses. So they think, I love myself. I'm proud of myself. But they don't realize that half of love is boundaries. Mm. You know, and I'll give this analogy. Like if you think about a child, you know, you've given this child a big, you know, uh, playground to to play on a big front yard with toys, but you haven't put a fence line around. And so your child runs out and gets hit by a car, right? You know, it, it's the same thing. Um, and so a lot of codependents don't even realize that they're not loving themselves well, because they like themselves as, as a human a lot of times, but they have no boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of it is teaching that codependent to have boundaries, to assert themselves, and that they are deserving of boundaries, just like the narcissist. Um, a lot of times they've been conditioned and the only voice in their ear mostly is the narcissist. So they need to start a lot of times if they're on their way to getting out, they need to start making their own friends. The narcissist will notice, by the way, you know, but if you're able to start building your own friendship circle and then start to be vulnerable, that can be hard because to me, vulnerability often is telling your friend something that you fear will make your friend think less of you. So or telling your, or your, the partner too, though, because you have the fear of like, what if they start to judge my relationship? So there's, I think there's like the protectiveness of that as well. Mm. I guess that's um, a question. Telling, telling your partner. So yeah, if I were to go to my friends and be like, uh, so my partner did X, Y, and Z and was really hurtful that they might dislike my partner now. And now because I want to stay with them, now I might be losing love for my friends or so I might not say those things. I mean, I've spoken right. to someone who's done that in the past and then learned what you're saying that the way towards he, or towards moving through it uh, was to share more, uh, but it took right. a while to get there because it was scary to share that. I did that too, back when I was in a relationship with a narcissist, I didn't tell my girlfriends, I, I would, you know, I did the tough chick thing, right. But then as I realized it was time that I needed to shift things, I also knew that I had to be vulnerable. You know, mm -hmm. and I started, you know, to tell my girlfriends what was going on. And as soon as I did that, my friendships deepened. Because, you know, vulnerability is what deepens relationships. So all of a sudden, I started having these richer friendships with this team of badass girls, women, and that started to strengthen me because this is a thing. The narcissist over time weakens you. So you need to strengthen you. Like if you're on the way out, you need to strengthen yourself. Well, part of how you can strengthen yourself is to create a security net of friends. You're only going to do that if you choose your friends wisely and make yourself vulnerable to those friends, the kind of people that will have your back and now you're starting to get stronger and you're starting to build these friendships, right? Meanwhile, if you're dealing with a narcissist that puppet, you know, that uses your words against you, like if you're starting to work on getting out, like, like, how should I put it? Not revealing all that to them, not mm -hmm. revealing all your thoughts to them or that you're thinking about leaving because then they will go into overdrive trying to puppeteer you, right? So, you know, that's the second thing that you need to do. Um, you know, how should I put it? Let's see. A lot of it is asserting your boundaries and your assertiveness. They, uh, so different narcissists are different ways. Not every narcissist is going to go ballistic on you. Some narcissists will go ballistic on you. And as soon as you are starting to set boundaries, they react very poorly to that. And others will go cold. But the thing is, you have to get yourself strong enough where whatever their reaction is, you can withstand that. Mm -hmm. Or you create, uh, you know, and if they're dangerous, now you need to create some kind of safety plan so you can get away and still be safe. But let's say that they aren't full tilt dangerous. If they aren't full tilt dangerous and you're just in a situation where you're trying to get out, 
then again, you have to build the fortification inside of yourself. So you're strong enough not to cave when they start yelling or they quit talking to you or they start to do all these manipulative tactics. So there's a lot of self-work that needs to happen so you can withstand that, whether it's going to a therapist, building great friendships, meditating, going on, you know, whatever you need to do to build your internal fortification. Mm. Because then, and, then you can withstand it and you can start to build a better life for yourself and get yourself out of there. And probably easier said than done. Uh, like, you know, it's it's not just like this. Oh, I figured it out. I went to one therapy session and I'm free. Woo. That's it's when a, you're like, I'm going to the grocery store. I'll be right back. And you just never come never back. Never come like, back. Oh, just kidding. Yeah. Unless you live with them and you're like, shit, all my stuff is there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. or, or you have a kid with them or you own a home yeah. or I mean, plenty of people get... That's the thing. trapped in abusive relationships. And so I'm curious about this. So healing from a toxic relationship, this could be narcissism, this could be abuse. What does the healing process look like after leaving the relationship? Like what, what can be done to, I, we do talk about the tools on how to leave potentially, but what does that healing look like? Right. Well, well, first, let's just say that if you've gotten out of it, it may be that you've done a little bit of healing while you're still there because you had, in order to get out, you probably needed to build your resources um, in order to even get out. So you probably started the process even before you left. And, and also, I, just to touch on what you said, yeah, it's not about going to a therapist and having the therapist say some brilliant intellectual a gem that makes you wake up. No, it, it's about going to the therapist to help build your internal resources, to help build your sense of self, your integrity, your your realization that you deserve love. So you literally feel emotionally more fortified and stronger to withstand leaving. And then as once you leave, it may be that, I mean, for me, when I left a narcissist, I actually was like super happy there, you know, which you, it could be mixed emotions, right? You know, you might have some happiness, but then when the dust settles, you might realize that you don't quite know who you are, you know, or, or that in your body, your body feels kind of numb from all the years of shutting down in order to tolerate being tossed about. And so, you know, so mentally on the mental level, uh, it's about reframing what it is to love yourself um, on the emotional level. It's processing through all those emotions and figuring out how to light up the circuit board that is your full emotions. Again, if you, in your body, you're numb, how can you start to wake up your body again? Right. So like for, for me, I took a lot of breath work. I took, did holotropic and pranayama breath work which helped to start to open up my body because I was kind of like this little flower, little wilted flower, <laughs> right? You yeah. know, and, and you know, anything that's body-based because trauma is in the body, right? All these books that are trauma-based have body in the title, like the body keeps the score, the body bears a burden because that's where trauma is, right? And so on a body-based level, you need to figure out how to wake up your body mm -hmm. and, you know, going to therapy, um, doing what your own journey of finding out who you are. Maybe you go on a vacation. Maybe you start doing your own soul searching it, and take some time before you jump into another relationship to really figure out who you are, because there's probably a lot of a sense of self that got lost over the course of time that you were with this person. I think that's such a key takeaway to know yourself, to love yourself, before, especially if you're recovering from being in a relationship with a narcissistic human, I think if you're doing the work to prevent that from happening again, that's going to start by having a regular therapist talking to someone to to begin healing those wounds that are that are deep. And um, I mean, it, it even with all the work that you do, I mean, Amy, you still have uh, things that come up from being with a nar narcissist for so many oh, years. Right, right there, and yeah. I'm like, I'm, am I done with this yet? No, I'm not. Here it is, right? Again. And yeah. even though it's it's totally in the past, it's still things come up, and so I think that seeking professional help, whether you're involved in a relationship deeply and you have children with and you and you don't know if you can get out, but seeking help is going to be really important and identifying those almost those checkmark boxes, right? That you're like, whoa, this person is a narcissist. Maybe I should hold on. There's a red flag. It's even bigger than a red flag. Maybe I should hold off before uh, pursuing this person even further if it's a new relationship. And right. I, I don't know what yeah. you think about that, but uh, that was just my last 
kind of over overview of uh, takeaway. Uh, and I and I just love that piece that you shared that last bit. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, earlier you asked, you know, are there more, are there women that are narcissists and all that? I think one thing to look at, especially after you leave a narcissist is to look at your, you know, what, what bubble do you exist in? Do you live in a, you know, like if you're out here in LA, like I am, are you in like, say a section of the entertainment industry that's like super narcissistic, you know, uh, or, you know, I've, I've met men where I've literally argued with them. And I'm like, <laughs> right at the time I thought, you know, there's more men that are narcissists. And they're like, what are you talking about? There's so many narcissistic women because they were in a bubble that had a lot of narcissistic women. So I think it depends on what your friendship or professional bubble is, depending on what your perspective is related to gender and narcissism. There's some bubbles of humanity that are way more narcissistic than others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, just like an alcoholic, you know, when they get sober, sometimes have to completely change their friendship group someone who's a codependent that's free from a narcissist may need to change their, their friendship group as, as well, mm. you know? And, um, you know, so it's, it's, I think that's a, a big piece of it is like rebuilding your community, rebuilding your identity, all of that. Yeah. You know, and it, so, you know, if we think about the red flags related to narcissism, um, you know, when you're out on that first date, and that person has charm for days, um, just because you feel like this mad chemistry, especially if you're a codependent, uh, beware, because that mad chemistry that you feel, it may be that you're dealing with a narcissist, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so that, you know, our judge, especially for a codependent, a lot of times that's what we're drawn to. And so uh, one thing that I would just say is just pump the brakes. It takes time to get to know someone. A narcissist can hide who they are for even a year. They can oftentimes play a very long game. All you have to do is watch the HBO show with Marilyn Manson, who's way more than just a narcissist and Mm -hmm. see how, you know, like a lot of these narcissists will, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of beautiful women in LA and their narcissists will sometimes play a game that's over a year. Wow. That's a long one, you know, in order to get them where they want. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a lot of time, you know, movies tell us that love is supposed to be love at first sight and you, you plow into it with all full speed, but movies lie to us in terms of how to be loved. Well, Mm -hmm. if you take your time, then you can see if someone has emotional intelligence, if they have empathy, one of the biggest tells a lot of narcissists, Some of them will be empathetic as long as what you want does not get involved, does not impede what they want. So I've dated narcissists or, or, you know, people that end up being cruel before personally, where they're amazing and empathetic when I'm sad at a day at work, or I'm sad regarding something that happened with a friend. But as soon as I block them, or, or from something that they want, then all of a sudden the cruelty shows up. That was a hundred percent my experience that was wow. it was when I had my experience with someone who could feel empathy, but when it had to do with us, we go to therapy and, and we go to therapy, yeah. did the work. But when it, there was a problem between us, then it was a big problem. You know, it was, it was like in that exactly what you're saying. And I'm, I'm now stirring up their world and they're not able to get what they need or are desiring. And so now we have a problem. So it's not that they couldn't feel empathy for the outside world at all. Or for me, um, it was just when it came to them and us, then we had a problem. Um, and it was a huge problem. So it, we would sometimes go on for weeks, sometimes it was months. Uh, and sometimes it was, uh, we were lucky to just have it as days or in hours, but it just, it, it did break me down and it did change me. And I have had to rebuild and I've had friends comment on how much shinier I am now mm-hmm. that I am free of that. And that, I, you know, when I left that relationship, one of the things I said was, the number one thing I want in my next partner is their baseline is kindness. It doesn't mean that they can't have, you know, the occasional explosion or or not be kind sometimes, but the baseline, their their natural state of who they are is kind. And now I'm in one of those relationships. And that's also been a deeply healing piece is to have a new experience with someone who is not, you know, a narcissist, who is kind, who is more, you know, loving, caring, and it's very easy for them to feel empathy. Um, so I'm, I'm curious though, about the therapy piece. Um, one, of course, how can people work with you? But I also am curious if you can share, what about people who can't afford to work with 
a ther- I mean that that is a, that is a thing. There's people in um, you know abusive relationships who feel trapped and they don't have the financial means. So one, if they do have the financial means, how can they find you and work with you? Two, what are the options if they don't have that? Again, chances are that uh, a person involved in a nar- with a narcissist is, you know, an overgiver, a, a, you know, um, a codependent. So reading literature on that, you know, um, finding podcasts or Instagram influencers that are talking on the topic, I think is important because basically it's almost, it's almost like you need to be your own internal dom because mm-hmm. your psyche will be like, I'm tough enough. I can handle this. I can heal them with my love. They aren't the narcissist that is painted in all these articles that are monstrous, you know, all of this. And it's, it's like, you need a, like many, many voices mm-hmm. talking to you through Instagram podcasts, et cetera, saying, no, this is you too. <laughs> you deserve love. You deserve consistent kindness, not just these kind, the kindness that shows up sporadically, you know, like, you know, you talked about wanting kindness. Yeah. I think that that is the key thing. It's like, can this person be sustainably kind, even when you are asking for something that gets in the way of what they need because the health, someone who's emotionally healthy, when you ask for something that you want that conflicts with what they need, they can still compassionately negotiate that with you. They don't all of a sudden become monstrous, breaking you down, rejecting you, not talking to you for days, you know, et cetera. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's one of the main things is, um, you know, looking for sustainable kindness um, and, and just surrounding yourself with as many resources as possible. And also, again, building up your psyche in as many ways as you can to make yourself strong, because um, that will help you not be so uh, easily manipulated. Mm. And, and how the, can people work with you? Though? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Kate. Sorry. I, I wanted to say one other yes. thing that, you know, I, I mentioned that sometimes this can be coupled with things like borderline. It can also definitely be coupled with things like I don't know, white supremacy, or it can be coupled with patriarchy, right? Where you have a narcissist, or you, it can be coupled with privilege. So Politics some, or yeah. cult leaders. <laughs> well, you know, like if you have a narcissist who's also like, say, white, you know, like it, it like a, has some white supremacy, some privilege and some bigotry going on. You know, like, like, let's think of an extreme example, a wealthy, handsome, tall, male narcissist, tons of privilege dating a black or brown woman. Mm. So she is intersectionally, she is less privileged than this narcissist. When you, when you think about that coupling, you can see how there's all kinds of societal things that also come into play that can make the narcissist incredibly damaging. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, it's not just about a narcissist codependent relationship. And, you know, it's also these societal things that are amplifying it. And the one last thing that I'd say is a lot of literature out there says that the codependent is just as sick as the person, or, you know, is just as, I'm not going to say sick, is just as injured as the narcissist or the person that is, manipulating the codependent that's not what i've seen in my practice that's literature written by a narcissist probably (laughs) (laughs) well it's people that don't really realize the societal things like especially with women from the time we were little girls we have been kind of groomed by society not a narcissist um to overgive to you know take care of others to forfeit our own needs and so We've been groomed from the time we were little girls to be like that. And so that primes us for the narcissist to just take the wheel and and take us further. So understanding the societal factors regarding bigotry, you know, white supremacy, uh, you know, misogyny, et cetera, as as an interplay with all this is super crucial. And so usually in my private practice, when I have someone that's been dating narcissists, when I start to let them be aware of all this, including the societal factors i've seen people change in a couple of weeks mm, awesome. they are not as injured as the narcissist mm-hmm. yeah that's helpful that is helpful okay so really though how can people work with you <laughs> really because what if they want to because i'm sure there's lots of people you're incredible like I mean, the way I, I might need to work with you I, I, of course <laughs> i and and i just love how you present information this happened on the last show where i just fell in love with how you really 
were able to speak to not only us, but on, on so many levels of, of the, the human, like the human level, you're just, you're just amazing. And I say that with, with a, like a full heart and I appreciate you breaking down the nar- the narcissistic pieces of work out there. Uh, you know who you are if you're listening. Or do you? Or do you? Or if you don't want to admit it. So how can they work with you and find you if you have social handles? That would be a great time to share that as well. Let's see. So uh, my website is katelarie.com. That's Kate and then L-O-R-E-E.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Open deeply with Kate Lurie. If you are a very spontaneous person, uh, I'm going to be in Costa Rica from the November 10th through the 15th. Um, Amory podcast is doing a retreat and I'm going to be there speaking. But so that's multi, multi-Amory or Amory? Amory. Oh, Amory, Amory podcast. Okay, okay. Yeah. With um, Megan. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. That's from the 10th to the 15th. Um, 2022, everyone. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> those are some, I mean, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all in, in TikTok with TikTok, you know, I, I have a lot of videos on there, but I was literally only on there for a month, but <laughs> I need to go back and work on that anyway, but it's the same handle open deeply with Kate Lurie. And you have your podcast as well, which can be found anywhere podcasts are listened to. Uh, thank you again. We'd love to have you back on this show to talk about just all of the things that you, you have so much knowledge. And I know there's another topic that we can crack open. And this particular topic was, I, we could have gone on for another hour because I had questions brewing in my brain about I mean, previous partners that I've had that were hard to get out of relationships uh, with because they definitely had some of these narcissistic tendencies. So ah, to all of those out there, maybe I think if you're a narcissist, you should just create a narcissist meetup group and then have a a headshot of yourselves. And then we could go on that to make sure we're not dating you. (laughs) Does that sound fair? Or your meetup group could be like, all right, let's all talk about all the ways that we hurt other people (laughs) and be really honest with ourselves. That's not going to happen because they're narcissists. Okay. (laughs) How can we go and cultivate more? Uh, Unravel, unravel it all. Empathy classes? Like, can we have empathy? Yes, there are. This is one right now. Okay. Yeah, there's a great book called Self Compassion by Kristen Neff. um, I think is a a good book for for folks that are recovering from narcissists. Okay, I like I I like that. Okay, well. To all of you out there, and I say this with complete empathy, zero selfishness at all, and I am not on some rock star pedestal, but I fucking love you, okay? And whether or not you love us too, if you're listening to this, just go ahead and give us five stars on Spotify actually now does reviews. So that just helps more people find folks like Kate Laurie and all the people that we have on our show. Also, iTunes, of course, and you don't have to do some long standing review that's 15 paragraphs. It can just be an emoji showing us your love. And we read every single one or we look at every single one. If you do emojis, we don't have to read it. Uh, you could do some riddle emoji for us and I can try to figure it out. I love those uh, where it's like different emojis jumped on. Anyway, just a thought. So uh, one last call to action for any of you out there, please buy the stuff that we talk about from our sponsors. We choose every single one of our sponsors very carefully. We select them from hundreds of different options and we pick them because we believe in their products or the services that they offer. So uh, you get them at a discounted rate. So please do that. And I say this because that helps us stay in business. And this is a free tool for you. It's free. And there's three over 300 episodes now for you. So go ahead and do that. And we love you so much. We drop a new episode every Tuesday. So that's why I say see you next Tuesday. Ciao for now. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com and for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code shamelesssex at purepleasureshop.com.